So it's my great pleasure to, to introduce uh, Catherine Boyle. Uh, Catherine is one of the, uh, the, the co-directors of the Art of the Wings project as well. Uh, she's professor of Spanish and Latin American Cultural Studies, Cultural <laughs> Studies at King's College London. Uh, Catherine has not just been a colleague of mine for a number of years, 20, 20 odd years, <laughs> uh, but also a, a very, very dear friend. So I'm, I'm delighted to, to welcome Catherine here today. Thank you very much. It's, it's really lovely to be here. I've never been to Coventry before, and uh, I've been to work a few times. Um, and, and, yeah, and it's good to be here to celebrate new translations of, of Lorca. Um, what I've tried to do in this paper, it's part of a published paper, so if you're one of the three people who's already read this, I apologise. Um, it's published in the Bulletin for Hispanic Studies, I think. Um, but the idea is to look at Lorca's writing as a dramatic theory in process. And I started thinking of this through reading, what well, reading his plays, obviously, but also looking at uh, a lot of his interviews. He did a lot of interviews in his life, and, I know, and you can't take them as being um, saying very much that's sensible a lot of the time. But what I did was go through them and look at ways in which he talked about what he was passionate about, which was the creation of theatre. And I've sought to contextualise this within theatre practice, both in Spain and in Latin America. And through that, I want to, this ties in a lot with what David is speaking about, I think, to look at Lorca's theatre as theatre and as theatre practice, yeah? I was going to make a PowerPoint, but David said you weren't going to use PowerPoint. So yes, uh, yeah, so people, people rebel. He rebels. I'll read it. So, but I'll, can you hear okay? I've called the first, so it's Lorca and the Dramatic Imagination. And I've called the first section, El Público que va a ver cosas queda defraudado. The audience that goes to the theatre to see things leaves deceived. So these ideas emerge from a sense that dramatic theory, that is, ways of thinking about the act of performance is written into the dramatic text itself. Here, I want to reflect upon the ways in which the dramatic writing of Federico Garcia Lorca emerges from and turns on a context of crisis and to relate this to an emerging and increasingly clear theory of the stage. Although Lorca did not write a formal theater, theory of his theatre practi practice, according to Nicholas Round, uh, who says virtually no major 20th century Spanish writer offers less by way of conceptual content, Lorca did, I think, give many signals in his interviews and declarations about what he called his personal and resistant concept of theatre. I've kept resistant there. He says resistente, so I wanted to keep that there because I think it's a very powerful word. So his ideas about the ways in which the dramatic poet lives in responds to, writes and performs the multiple realities of their time. And although I agree, again, with Nicholas Brown, <coughs> that his writing very seldom generates any sense of a process of thought impressively accomplished, end of Nicholas Brown quote, I would argue that the key to the space Lorca's theatre occupies is precisely that of the unaccomplished process. 
In this sense, it is quintessentially the art of theatre and, moreover, recognisable as a product of a theatre in crisis. There may be no fully written up theoretical model, but there is a theory of the stage in process inherent in his disparate ideas that has worked through in his plays. So what I want to suggest here is that there's a conceptual underpinning that emerges above all as process and suggests a series of key engagements with other theatre projects of the time. And I think that's one of the things we forget, some people forget, but luckily he's very much in, in tune with his time. And that this results in a thematic displacement in which language in crisis becomes the core impulse. Lorcas is a theatre that responds to and seeks to make something new out of a perception of crisis. Lorca, of course, was particular vo particularly vocal about the crisis in theatre, and his many disparate comments show both a clear connection with the sensibilities of his age and an engagement with a pretty uniform language of crisis in theatre, revolving around the questions of the audience, of dramatic writing, and of social agency. And although he never wrote a theory of the stage, we can decipher an increasingly clear set of preoccupations and here I've just sort of enumerated them. This is where a PowerPoint would have come in handy, but I'll, I've just tried to enumerate in synthesis from these interviews and statements that Lorcan makes different ways of thinking about theatre. So the first one is the question of the audience that goes to the theatre, these are sort of translations of Lorca, without any real interest in and with little or no respect for the art. He says in an interview, they arrive late, they leave before the end, they come and they go with no respect whatsoever. Second, the social range of the audience, which was largely from the urban elite, and with his desired audience to be found among el pueblo, the people, his word. He says, as soon as the people in the gods come down to the stalls, everything will be resolved. Thirdly, the crisis of rele relevance in terms of the social realities of the time. The need, as he says, to bring to theatre the themes and problems people are scared of tackling. Fourthly, I think, the need to educate the audience in the literary art of the theatre through introduction to the classic dramatic texts and to the new dramatists of the modern theatre. He says, we have to uproot for once and for all that nonsense about theatre not being literature. It is no more and no less than literature, which is quite a contradictory statement from Markham. I think it's very interesting. <coughs> Next, the inadequacy of contemporary stagecraft. He says, we have to recover lost authority and put artistic dignity back into the dressing rooms. Next, the role of the impresarios, guided by economic gain, to the detriment of artistic integrity. Actually, I've just I've got to number G, so I don't know what <laughs> letter the alphabet that is. It's, um, letter seven. Letter seven. Thank you. The need. So the next one is the need for a developed dramatic writing capable of creating the textual basis for the stage experience. He says, "I sincerely believe that theatre is and can only be emotion and poetry in the word, action, and gesture." It, the need to carry this through onto the stage by paying attention to rhythm and pulse. He says, 
We need long and careful rehearsals in order to achieve the rhythm that must preside over the representation of a dramatic work. And in terms of the body, he says, we must represent the festival of the body from the soles of the feet in dance to the tips of the hair, all presided over by the gaze, interpreter of what is happening inside. We have to revalorize the body in the spectacle. That's the direction I'm moving in, he says. And then finally, underpinning all of this, his own concept of the theatre, the much quoted, theatre is poetry which raises itself from the stage, from the page rather, and becomes human. A direct echo of Purandero's concept of the dramatic poet, quotation from Purandero, uh, characters should detach themselves alive and independent from the written pages of a play. <coughs> So, the concurrence with the analysis of crisis is striking in Lorca's writing, but not surprising, for crisis, as Rhys Pascal, among others, has said, remains integral to the very nature of theatre and generates its most positive and unique elements. It's also striking that these aims, this assessment of crisis, and crucially, the responses to it, find their echo and to some degree their resolution in the theatre experiments of the 1940s and later in, La and in Latin America. I have explored this theory very much, but I think since this, this is truncated experience in, in Spain, and Lorca was a huge influence in Latin American theatre, I think a lot of this jumped the Atlantic in many ways. In Chile, for example, similar aims are made explicit in the manifesto of the first theatre school, where innovators sought to fulfil four main objectives. One, the creation of a theatre environment through professional hombres de teatro, men of the theatre, skilled in all aspects of theatre craft and achieved by the setting up of theatre schools. Two, the education of the public in classical and international theatre, preparing it for innovation and experimentation. Three, access to all social classes with a particular emphasis on introducing the lower sectors and the marginalised to the theatre, partly through touring. Hopefully the echoes of Lorca are becoming apparent here. And for the creation of new dramatists who would give voice to the realities of their communities. What was a truncated project in Spain saw realisation in Latin American countries? And I think perhaps later in Spain, but this, this emptiness that happens is very important. This is not to claim Lorca as the sole influence for the Latin American theatres, although there's a really profound recognition of what he did. Um, for these new experiments have their own cultural and intellectual histories from which they emerge. It is to underline the historicity of Lorca's theatre project, which grew from a profound engagement with the processes of dramatic production. He identified the crisis, articulating the ways in which theatre practitioners had not, in the words of the Spanish philosopher Ortega y Gasset, coincided with the sensibility of the age. His success as a dramatist, I think, rests in that ability to access at, the at times hidden sensibilities of his age, and his legacy is to have suggested ways of breaking through this crisis. On one occasion, Lorca was asked how his work progressed. His response, which refers to Yerma and Bola Sangre, follows a typically vague route. He said, both are the fruit of reality. The characters are real. The themes in both are rigorously authentic. First, notes, observations taken from life itself, 
sometimes from newspapers. Then, thinking around the issue, thinking about it long and hard. And finally, the definitive move from the mind to the stage. De la mente a la escena. Not from the page to the stage, even though he did think of the text in terms of stage performance, this notion of literature, dramatic text of literature, but from the mind to the stage. The process that's suggested is the route from the conceptual to the performative. In 1971, the Latin American <coughs> theatre director, Victor Garcia, directed <coughs> the Compañía de Nuria Espet in one of the most famous productions of, of Lorca's Yerma. In it, there was no obvious re reference to the Andalusia of whitewashed houses, women in black, guitars, gypsies, flamenco, that is, to the dramatic conventions around his work. Instead, the set, a suspended metallic hexagon with a huge black cloth, created, according to critic José Monleón, a radical break with the usual images. In an interview with Monleón, Nuria Espert, who, play, who played Yerma, spoke about the production in the following terms. <coughs> she says, it seems to me that there's a greater difference between Lorca's Andalusia and the real documented Andalusia than between Lorca's Andalusia and that of Victor Garcia. What I mean is that the gypsy of the green moon does not exist. That although he may not forget the socio-political and economic background of Andalusian reality, Lorca creates his own place for his theatre which allows for any director to create their own place, their own poetry and their own truth, making Lorca's poetry his starting point. There is a much, here's a heart, I suppose, certainly. There is a much greater distance between Jerez de la Frontera and Lorca than between our hexagon and Lorca. But in Lorca, there's another route hardly ever explored that we want to work on. The emphasis is, on a mil is militantly on a symbolic interpretation of the text, which is not allowed to hide behind perhaps easier signs of cultural remote, uh, rootedness, be the geographical or socio-political. It follows Lorca's route from the mind to the stage, but this is also bound up with a wider theatrical process. Garcia and Espert document the, uh, the pro prohibition of producing the play in Granada in the original space that they envisaged, in Corral del Carbon, which is an Arabic holy art, which if you go to Granada is still there. It's now the uh, tourist uh, information place, I think. It was this space that had given rise to the idea of the hexagon, which was to cover the fountain at its centre, and it was the perfect centre for their production aimed at creating the poetic space of the text and the stage. In Victor Garcia's words, don't set your eyes on the canvas or on the metal structure. Here there is no wall. Everything is in the air. Things happen in the air and we must fight to make sure that the action becomes unstuck from the ground. This means this exists <coughs> in order to create sensations. We are not merely showing off some decoration we've made. The formal structure, the formal devices allowed for what Victor Garcia called a transposición, the transposing of the text into the theatre space. The formal structure admits of Lorca's text in its entirety. That is, as Nuria Spert said, it allows for the text to live. The machine, as she calls the, the hexagon, breathes and <coughs> becomes tender, was her word. The structure moulds itself to the language of the text, and I love that sense of this, this moulding of the textual and the, and, and the material. 
And the surprise for José Monleón was that this was not the betrayal of Lorca's theatre, that it did not mean a negation of the customary meanings attributed, attributed to his work in more traditional productions, and that the emphasis on the oniric and magical elements did not mean a diminishing of the fundamental dimensions of the play, if you can talk about that, this is uh, José Monleón's language, but that it allowed these preconceived ideas of social critique to speak as strongly as in more conventional, conventional mise-en-scene. Lorca's, what time is it? We've got, Lorca's dramatic writing responds to Roland Barthes' notion of text as radically symbolic. A work, this is uh, quoting from Barthes, a work conceived, perceived and received in its integrally symbolic nature. It is this that is ironically perhaps most often overlooked in Lorca's theatre, not in terms of an analysis of the symbolic, but as an understanding of how the symbolic works dramatically, how it revolves around the language of crisis, where the texts have no closure. Roland Barthes' words, <coughs> from word to text, his famous text, resonate profoundly in terms of drama. He says, the text is not a coexistence of meanings, but a passage, an overcrossing. Thus it answers not to an interpretation, even a liberal one, but to an explosion, a dissemination. The text then becomes a methodological field, a process of demonstration that is experienced only in the activity of production. Again, that's, that's a quotation from Roland <coughs> experienced only in the activity of production, which I think is perfect for theatre, as David was saying. In these terms, the dramatic text is exemplary. The role of the designated interpreter, the director, the actor, the set designer, so the lighting technicians, etc., is to comprehend the processes at work, finding a way through the colliding meanings of the text and translate them into a parallel and readable stage language in the move from source, mind, text, page, in Lorca's words, to target, spoken word, and page. And again, the target would also be mind, text, page as well. The text is fundamentally a methodological field, and each new production will resonate in a new historical context and structure of meaning. I'm going to leave the next part. Um, this opens Lorca's theatre up to an exploration of the theatre trajectory, his exploring of spaces, of the possibilities for a poetic language of the stage. That he, talk, that he talked of as the bedrock of Spanish drama. But the core resonance of Lorca's work is not to be found in the radically socio-political as the place that he said were his real pro uh, project for the theatre, the unperformable El Público and the Sique Passing Cinco Años Prove. So, so um, it's the real project, again, if you can talk about that, is to be found in his response to the artistic crisis in theatre. The incompleteness of this project for theatre was worked through in what I call his personality plays, those that he wrote and performed to show professionally, professionalism and mastery of the craft. And I've called them personality plays because that's what Lorca calls them. When he talks about his unperformable plays, we're uh, going to talk about that later, the Publico and Asipo he says there's other plays that he wrote, Para Mostrar Personalidad. Yeah. And I think there's a whole Lorca history, personal history there, 
But I think these are the plays that he was seeing as writing as part of his professionalism, mastery of the class, gaining his sort of apprenticeship into, the, into it, which doesn't uh, deny them their value, but says here's another type of writing that he was taking, that he was, he was engaged in. Yet these dramatic tests, these, let's call them personality plays for a moment, still give the signals for reading that become unstuck in Garcia's work from the distancing distraction of the notion of their relationship to Ariel and Lucia and its social realities. And this is what created the central tension in his work. On one hand, personalidad, and on the other, his true aim, again Lorca's words, in theatre. These are not set separate, they're part of the same process in which, and to quote from Raymond Williams, he reeled out, ruled out, um, and uh, he ruled out, I'll quote from Raymond Williams for a moment, quote, anything that cannot be shown on stage and that might amount, in Raymond Williams' words, to any decisive action in which men in general try to change their conditions. In this, Lorca recognises and shares the sensibilities of the age. He knew he could push at certain boundaries, but recognised those that he dare not touch. I think this is dramatised in the dynamic of El Publico and in the anguished struggle to realise a theatre that imagines going beyond the possible. El Publico poeticises the fear of stripping off multiple layers of masks and bringing to the stage the stark representation of what must only be imagined. This, for me, is the essence of the final dialogue, you probably don't know it, but between uh, a conjurer and the director, where, where Lorca has this, the conjurer imagining an impossible theatre and the director not. Um, but it's a twisting of a sort of liminal space of movement between possibility and impossibility, where Lorca is both uh, conjurer and um, director. Um, when asked, I'm going to say a bit about that, but I'm not going to do that just now. When asked about what he valued in the new theatre in, in Spain, Larkin responded that there is, in reality, no old theatre or new theatre, but good theatre and bad theatre. Quotation from Larkin. Good theatre being teatro teatro, teatro vivo. That's a quotation from Larkin. Um, and this echoes, I think, Peter Brook's rediscovery of the play as a living thing. Um, and it becomes about, and Peter Brook's uh, formulation becomes a real echo of what Lorca was saying. I'm going to quote a, a, something I love, a quotation from, from Brook, just to finish off uh, and just comment on it briefly. Brook says, people have often asked me, what is the theme of A Midsummer Night's Dream? He says, there's only one answer to that question, the same as one could give regarding a cup. The quality of a cup is its cupness. Let me just say that in goal, actually. I say this by way of introduction, to show that if I lay so much stress on the dangers involved in trying to define the themes in dream, it is because too many productions, too many attempts at visual interpretations are based on preconceived ideas, as if these had to be illustrated in some way. In my opinion, we should first of all try to rediscover the play as a living thing. Then we shall be able to analyse our discoveries. Once I've finished the work in the play, I can begin to produce my theories. It was, a, it was fortunate that I did not attempt to do so earlier, because the play would not have yielded up its secrets. The cupness of Lorca's theatre is to be found not in the exploration of preconceived ideas, 
whatever they may be for, for each new production, but through an attention to the methodological field of the text with an eye for his theatre concept. Word, action, gesture, body, rhythm, spectacle. These are all taken from my original quotations from Lorca. And again, it's hard not to see the echoes of, for example, Gordon Craig in these set of elements. A final example from Blood Wedding. As one of Lorca's personality plays, it demonstrates and reveals the crisis from which his theories about theatre emerge. It is a capacity to wound the sensibility, uh, quotation from Lorca, of course, of the audience that is initiated, again a word from Lorca, into its stark inescapability, where questions that have the potential to escape from the ostensible pre-modern casing um, that shields it might lurk. The final scene of Blood Wedding suggests a millennial picture of suffering, a snapshot of shared female suffering, an absence of men, a recognisable choreography of lamenting and impotence, an aesthetic austerity that will be carried into House of Bernarda Alba. For Round, Nicholas Round, I quoted at the beginning, Lorca's theatre does not merely display the fated struggle to resist isolation and meaninglessness, it embodies the struggle and risks the loss. In that, rather than in any conceptual process, its full seriousness resides. What interests me in, in Round's idea, which he explores in terms of tragedy, is its relation to what I see as a possible thematic mirage in Lorca's work. <coughs> There's a sense in which the theatre embodies the struggle against meaninglessness by poeticising it and giving it a dramatic corporality. But in the movement from the mind to the stage, there's a potential loss of what might be called meaning, what we are left with in these plays that turn on entrapped and entrapping languages is so often glimpses of structures of belief and feeling and an exhibition of an incomplete theatre process. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We will throw over the floor now if anyone wants to ask any questions or raise any points. Yes? You might identify yourself just for a little bit. Uh, I was teaching there for 34 years. And many, many years ago, I translated uh, uh, Bernard Arts with one of my students for his performance. And we did it very, very quickly. And it was all right. But uh, I had to revise the book so for this publication. And I have discovered something that might be shocking for all of you. But you were talking about the secrets. Uh, Lord Calamish is full of secrets because he was frightened to expose himself. And what I discovered, and the tragedy of, of, of the play, is that Adela is pregnant. And this is something shocking, but. Once you see it, it is so clear to me. I have lived with Lorca all my life. I was acting Lorca when I was uh, very young at the university in Spain, when I was banned. And, and then it's very clear the language and makes very clear the idea of the, at the end of the act, the first act, the baby being born, uh, being killed, and the dove taking him, and, and the hands. And she's, she's in the first weeks of pregnancy. So what she does when she has herself at the end, not only she's killing herself, but she's killing the child in fact. Can I just issue a spoiler warning to everyone in the room? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, 
I assume you all know the play, Bernard Alba. If not, if not, you do know it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can get your money back at the box office. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there, I think there are interpretations. I, I've heard other people talking about the possibility of her, of her being pregnant. I, I don't think personally it fits the timescale. Uh, of, of, of the play itself, but that that certainly could be a conversation that people could have after after, after the show as to their own you know personal interpretation of that, and it would be ludicrous for for me to say no, she's not. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't know. I don't know. Any any other points? But the, the idea of what you say about the secrets in Lorca, of course, absolutely. absolutely. You know, a writer who was frightened of betraying himself to the public word. So that, and, and he's constantly working through the implications of giving himself away. You know, there, there, there's a very, very big uh, force that's operating in Lorca. It's partly bad faith and partly sheer fear. Mike, you wanted to say something? I just wanted to ask Catherine, yeah, sorry, Mike Thompson, University of Durham. Um, ask Catherine about the concept of resistente del teatro, or idea resistente, was it? Yes. You, you didn't really elaborate because you didn't have space, but that, that is a pretty suggestive notion, isn't it? Does he mean it sort of ambiguously? Ambiguously. Um, here's a hopeless. Here's, here's a hopeless response. You know, I think your guess is good as mine. In, in, um, <laughs> it's the official line. We're going to take no, Of course, it could. In the context, this is the context um, when he talks, when he makes the famous uh, quotation about his uh, unperformable plays and, um, and having this concept of theatre, I think. Um, I, I think it is uh, ambiguous. I read it as being ambiguous. I think it's a, it's a really explosive word, you know, it's one of the words where, where meaning moves through it in that sort of sense I was talking about. I think it is resistant in the sense that it's, it, it seeks to be, to, to resist yeah, and in terms of rebelling, yeah. But I also read it perhaps uh, more in this context as something that uh, that is sustainable, yeah. That resists against uh, attack itself. Do you see what I mean? So, so, he, so it's something that has. I think he is saying it's something he's thought about. I think it is something he's saying it's something that is a very strong background there. That it's not something that he's just pulling out of the air. And I think that's for me is the is the is the more persistent <laughs> sense that is there that it is something. I think that's what he says when he says personal and resistente. I just translated it as resistant. That might not be a right translation into English, you never know. But, but, but yeah, but I think it does and I think it is I think he does aim to to give you the true sense of it being rebellious in a sense, but also of being something that Resistant, you know, that, that just that lasts and, and that. Resist and resist interpretation as well, possibly. Exactly, exactly. I think. Deliberately. Yeah. Deliberately. <coughs> to a certain extent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ruth? Hi, I'm Ruth from the Manchester Vet. I wanted to ask a general question about uh, translation. Uh, it's just about what you were saying about the, the violent imagery, you know, that the compared in the different translations. And I was wondering, is there ever a danger of translating kind of underestimating the audience a little? You know, the critical faculties are. I don't know, I'm from Manchester, but I wouldn't need the violent imagery to be all about, you know, kicking and bossing and footballing for me to understand it. 
Absolutely, of course, of course. Uh, you, you, you can never, you can never talk uh, about uh, sort of an audience as though it's one beast. Uh, all, all you can really do is, is, is work from your own sense of what what works as as, as language. And I suppose my, uh, my my worry about the the suggested procedures there was that Lorca should be located linguistically in a in, in, in a specific place rather than using language, uh, which could be equally challenging, but which would also release a lot of the theatricality within, within the language as well, as well as the beauty of the language, as well as its, its functioning as a poetry of the stage. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 one of the real problems in translation is where, where translators normalize, and, 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 and you know, in, in an attempt to uh, make plays comprehensible, make them understandable, they actually lose what makes them performable. Uh, they, they lose that sort of uh, ability to make an impact, to be memorable. Yes, but, uh, of course you can underestimate the, the spectator. But I think what, what I was trying to suggest was that not, not that you see the spectator as being uh, engrossed within a play or sitting outside the play, but that trying to look upon the cognitive processes through which the spectator blends in and out of the performance, and, 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 and allowing that blending in and out, uh, so that uh, you know you, you're you're creating uh, elements which are perhaps from somewhere else, and perhaps from here, perhaps from then, and perhaps from now, so that the spectator can actually cope with that. People talk about there's a lack of coherence in that, but of course the whole blending process—you blend into this, you blend into that and then you blend back over there. And I think if you begin to think of theater spectatorship in those terms, then you can actually challenge and travel and move in a performance in a single text, much more so than uh, we're led to believe by those who say, no, you have, you've got to create a, a recognizable social world within this play. That went off to a tangent what you asked, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Any other? Um, hi, Alex Hay from Hull University. Um, really briefly mentioned um, in Lorca's music, and I was wondering if you could like enlighten me as to some of his musical influences, because I know absolutely nothing about his musical works. Uh, there may be people in the room know more than I do about that. Um, Lorca, above all, although I'm not going to give him a chance to say anything, of course. <laughs> 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 is, there, is there anyone who wants to answer that, that knows about Lorca's music? Not Fire. Fire. Fire, the fire, I know. He was a musician and he played the piano and studied music. Oh, and his piano was the way he skated when he was in the US, in the States. He hated New York and he kept, you know, playing the piano state of Tokyo. But Fire, I think Manuel de Fire was his great influence and his great fame. Because he, he really valued music above all else, didn't he? Oh, he, he, loved music. he wanted to be a music and he, he collected music as well. Uh, but when he yeah. rearranged music, uh, he did rearrange it both in terms of coming from a, a traditional background, but incorporating the, the, the contemporary techniques of Stravinsky or whatever, yeah. so that there is a lot of distance as well. Yeah. There's, there's stuff written in all sorts of journals of musicology mm -hmm. and so on, but it's as much as you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, Ollie Fielding, uh, theatre director. 
I just wanted to ask, um, we talked about a lot about the language of um, Lorca and how um, that might fit into the location of the play and where the play exists um, in the audience's mind. But um, as a writer, Lorca was, wrote a lot of um, stage directions. He wrote a lot of um, information about where he chose his um, scenes to be set. Um, and I just wondered um, how, what your feelings were on how that translates to a production of Lorca and the presentation, and how you might incorporate that in any kind of presentation of this work. Do you want to? I think, I mean, I'd answer that at a slight tangent. I think what are really interesting me about Lorca's uh, theatre directions are the types of instructions he gives in terms of musicality, choreography, movements, rhythm. That's, that's where I think the theatre directions really help you to understand the, the plays in theatrical ways. I think, <coughs> for me, I would be less interested in a sense in what he says about geographical locations. I don't think they are the, the theatre directions that would guide me in terms of understanding what he's doing theatrically. But I think when, when he does write his theatre directions, and he was famously sloppy about writing them when he was writing in the first place. But what he was aiming for is a these types of choreography and I think if, that's why I think just entering into this sort of idea that Lorca did have a, a resistant, a sense of, of a concept of theatre that he wanted to have on stage and that's, that's where the theatre directions start to talk to me about it, so reading them against and with and through the text as well that's where you get a real sense of movement on stage, this, this move from the sort of conceptual to the, to the stage, that, yeah, that would be my answer, I mean I think this for me, it's much less important that he says it's a, it's a wood or whatever, because that's a sort of conceptual, that's an imaginative step rather than a, than a, than a rooted physical step. I don't know if you'd agree. Yeah, I, I would, because it, it depends what's in his imagination when he says it's a wood. Uh, but I, I, Lorca, I, there's, there's lots of evidence of this, ignored his own stage directions when he directed his own plays, as most directors will do. Um, some of his stage directions are wonderful. Uh, and they do represent a choreography, as in the House of Bernal Alba when the girls say, I'd just love to get out of here and sit down as they say that, because they can't. You know, a, that's a very telling stage direction. Others, uh, other stage directions, you wonder why they're there, other than because he doesn't trust the theatre environment to which he's giving his play. Uh, so there's, there's an issue there as well. But, uh, uh, Personally, when I, if, I, if I'm translating for, for, for publication, I put the stage directions in, because people have a right to know they're there. But for performance, most directors, and you're a theatre director, most directors will, you, know, you, you can't, stage directions are very often about creating sameness. And if, if difference is a, is, is a quality that inhabits the act of translation, it's certainly also a quality that inhabits the staging of, of plays. And stage directions, uh, where they uh, are indicative of uh, of a poetry, of a broad choreography, they're very useful. Uh, but where they are, she looks surprised. She is angry. He shuts. Can you do one? Can I just say one more thing? I think uh, stage directions often are a, are an act of desire, almost in part of Lorca. Just thinking about a público. If you look at the stage directions in a publico, they're mostly impossible. Or, you know, something turns to sand in front of your eyes. Well, they were at that time. They wouldn't be um, now, and, and they're very filmic in a sense. And I think the desire comes from this 
this leap into his impossible theatre. This is where he would want to go with the theatre. These are the things that he'd want to try in the theatre. So these st stage directions explain a, a projection into the ne into a next stage of, of theatre, which might not be possible at that point. But there, those ones and those sorts of plays, I think maybe we were talking about the unperformable. Say something else, but I think they are acts of desire. You know, here's what would be fantastic to do on stage, but it might not happen yet. Do you do, do you know Valley and Clan? Sorry. Do you know Valley and Clan? No. Uh, Bohemian Lights, Divine Worlds, and so on. His stage directions are so full of that sort of desire that until until the late 1950s, his plays were considered to be novels. Uh, because they simply were unstageable in terms of what the stage directions were were, were, were asking for. And it's, it, it, again, it's, it, it's this attempt to try and, I suppose, impose a strong world of imagination on really quite an impoverished theatre world. But it, and any theatre director wants stage directions that challenge, not stage directions that, that, that simply limit to, to blocking or to, or to tone of character. So, uh, thank you very much. I think we'll, we'll move. Thank you very much, Catherine. Uh,